morning. It's good to see you guys. I'm glad that you're here. Welcome to whoever's watching on the live stream too. I'm glad you're here as well. Join us downstairs after this for uh, um, adult Bible study and Sunday school for the kids. Actually, the teens meet upstairs so uh, you guys can stay up here. I guess you go downstairs first and get food and then you come, uh, come back up here. Uh, no youth confirmation today. Uh, new members class tonight though, uh, 6 to 7.30. Uh, please feel free to come and join us at that. Uh, that's a good time. Um, next week, uh, the, the next Sunday I'll have the details for you as far as um, Holy Week schedule, but we are going to have Monday, Thursday service and Good Friday service. And then of course Easter Sunday morning. So uh, more information on that next week. I, I want to uh, be quick here because I have three of my best friends in the world who are going to come forward and uh, make announcements. Tim Schnicker is going to come forward and talk about Workday, and then Jen's going to come forward and talk about a special opportunity we have to serve, and then Eric's going to come forward after Jen and talk about something else that's going on too. All right. Yes. Oh, that works. Good morning. I'm here to cordially invite you all to spring cleanup day. It's that time of the year. You can see the trees are blooming, the grass is starting to grow, and there's a few things we like to knock out before Easter weekend and get ready for the summer. So if you have time or any amount of time you can give up, we're going to be here most of the morning, Saturday, and we will have lunch. So if that's important to you, at least come for lunch. Um, that's all. If you have any questions, just get a hold of me. Who's up next? Eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. Most people will be here at nine. Why did he look at me when he said that? I was early today. <laughs> All right. So next Sunday is um, a great opportunity, like Aaron said. So for the first time, the village of Glen Carbon is having an Easter egg hunt. That we have over 300 students already, or kids already signed up, so it's going to be great. So um, we had talked with them about how we can help, and we need 20 volunteers. So next Sunday, Bible class is going to get out a little early, and it will be for sure because Aaron has signed up. So we will be cutting him off early, right? And walking over to the park and hiding 3,000 Easter eggs, so that's exciting, and, or 2,000, 2,000 or 3,000, I can't remember, a lot, and then, um, and then we will stand guard so that no one starts until, you know, it begins, so super simple, we only need seven people to sign up today, that's it, so that's, we're just going to lock the doors, no one's leaving until seven people sign up. Um, I'm going to give this sign up to my dad after at church, so see him. He is very good at <laughs> getting people to sign up because he was a principal for many years. So um, anyway, it'll be simple and super fun. And then the following week, of course, is Easter, and we'll have our normal Easter brunch downstairs. I have lots more eggs this time since we ran out at Christmas, so we will not run out this time. So everybody come down afterwards. We will have our Easter egg hunt too. So kids, bring your Easter baskets. And thank you to the community group that is filling all the eggs. So any questions? All right, Eric's up. 
Hey, good morning, everyone. So next Sunday, in addition to the Easter egg hunt, um, we have another thing that we're calling everybody to do. Um, some of you may or may not be aware that we're getting ready to start um, St. James' vision process here. So when we formed a visioning team. I want to share the members uh, with you today and then also uh, kind of what this is. Um, if you haven't heard of it, you are going to hear about it for the next uh, probably two months um, a lot. Our, our purpose and our goal is to over-communicate this. And what this is, is working and partnering with LCEF is to really create God's vision for what St. James can be and what it will be. Um, we're still new. Um, we're still forming. We have a lot of members from different congregations that have kind of joined us, and, and now we're forming St. James. What does God want us to be? That's the purpose of this. We have Pastor Tom from LCEF who's kind of facilitating this. Um, but it's really for our team, it's not our team's vision, it's not what LCEF wants us to be, it's what God wants us to be, but that includes calling all of us to participate in this. So if you're here today, I do want to share the rest of the team members here um, that are on the visioning team with myself. Um, William Ellington, you don't have to stand, you can just raise your hand. I think hopefully everybody knows everybody. Tina Inky, Jamie Moldenauer, Rod Nathan, Doug Rohr, Nick Shoddy, Cheryl Snicker, and Pastor Miller is also uh, joining our group. So what can we do right now? Number one is pray. Pray for this process. Pray that it's successful. Number two is get involved. Um, we do not want this to be just our, our small group of visioning members uh, determining what everybody else wants St. James to be. So get involved. We will have a survey that opens next Sunday. So in addition to the Easter egg, make sure that you find out information. We'll have a digital copy, a hard copy. We'll have email notifications. It's gonna be in the newsletter. It's gonna be in the bulletin. We want everybody to participate. The one thing right now, write down May the 4th on your calendars. May the 4th, it's a Thursday evening. Again, um, everyone loves food. We're gonna have a, a good dinner. We're gonna have uh, Tom, Pastor Tom from LCF come facilitate our visioning event. We want as many people as we can get here that night. We'll have babysitting and again, food, just so you write that down, next to May 4th, free food. Um, so please come to that event. That's where we're going to take the results of the survey. The survey is anonymous. Only LCF and Tom know um, the results of that, but we will not know who submitted the survey. So please participate, pray, and join us as we define what God wants us to be. Thank you. Gift of love and righteousness, scorn 
His body lay, light of the world, I darkness lay, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. As we pray the prayer of confession this morning, if you'll look at it, um, there's, uh, this was my fault. There's not a space in here for us all to pray together, and I could pray corporately for us, but it'd be nice if we all prayed. If you look at the last line right before the absolution, um, it says, seeking his grace for the sake of Christ and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. When we get to that, could you, could you guys just say that with me? Could you pray that out loud with me too? God, be merciful to me, a sinner, when we get to that spot. Thank you. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. Since we're gathered to hear God's word, Call upon him in prayer and praise and receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ in the fellowship of this altar. Let us first consider our unworthiness and confess before God and one another that we've sinned in thought, word, and deed, and that we cannot free ourselves from our sinful condition. Together as his people, let us take refuge in the infinite mercy of God, our Heavenly Father, seeking his grace for the sake of Christ and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Upon this, your confession, I announce the grace of God to all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Savior, Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel... The Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. 
Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Old Testament reading for this morning is the uh, Dry Bones, a reading from Ezekiel 37. It feels like I've been talking about this a lot lately. Maybe it was in adult Bible study. But a really good vision of the power of the Holy Spirit to raise the dead. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought, this is Ezekiel talking, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. In other words, they'd been dead a long time. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a sound and behold a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading Romans 8, 1 through 11. uh, Also connecting the power of the Holy Spirit to raise the dead. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, 
But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the gospel reading. Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 11. Glory to you, O Lord. Story of uh, the resurrection of Lazarus, or the raising of Lazarus. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, 
When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with the cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated, and if Ruby Rather and her family and sponsors will come forward for baptism. So Ruby's going to be baptized this morning. Uh, let me say a few words about baptism uh, in specific and salvation in general, if I can. Uh, we're saved by grace through faith. We're all lost and trapped in our own selves until Jesus comes and rescues us. Uh, we know from the Bible that the salvation only happens through faith. It only happens through faith in Jesus Christ. That faith happens when uh, God gives it to us as a gift, this is the way faith always works, is that uh, you trust somebody because they give themselves to you in a way that builds that trust. And that's the way that Christians come to faith as well. God gives himself to them in a way that builds trust. The way he does this, we know that from the Bible, the way he creates faith is through his word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen says. There's a couple different ways that the word works to do this. One of the big ways is the Bible, of course. That's why Joe and Meg and the rest of us who are involved in Ruby's life from here on out will be teaching her the scripture and uh, helping her memorize scripture. God's word in her heart will build faith in him. The other way he does it is through the sacraments. Ephesians 5 says that God has sanctified his church to her with the washing of water, baptism, with the word. That baptism is the word of God applied to Ruby this morning in liquid form that builds faith. And, and much like I've said this before, but the way that you parents trained your kids to trust in you was both by telling them, giving them words of affirmation, telling them you love them, proving through word that you were trustworthy, but also through physical means, through giving them hugs and sitting them on their laps and when they cried, laying next to them in bed and rubbing their back and all that sort of good thing. Physically, you were also teaching them to trust you. God does the same thing with us because we're both internal beings and outer beings. God gives us his love through his word. His word in written form, his word in read form and heard form, but also his word physically, for instance, this morning in baptism. So Ruby Rathert, receive the sign of the cross upon your forehead 
and upon your heart, marking you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified and risen. One of the things that we're doing in baptism is it's public, it's happening in the life of the church because according to the New Testament, it takes a community. Uh, it's not just Joe and Meg's job, but it's ours as Ruby's brothers and sisters to pray for her, to walk with her, to set good examples, to hold her accountable, to encourage her, like I said earlier, to teach her God's word. And so this morning, this is a church event. Ruby is also becoming a part of our family. And we're making a commitment to her this morning because God's making a commitment to Ruby this morning. So along those lines, I'm gonna ask Joe and Meg and um, the sponsors, do you renounce the devil and all his works and all his ways? If so, say yes. yes. And do you believe in the God who is revealed to us in scripture and whom we confess in the Apostles' Creed? If so, please say it with me now and the rest of the congregation too, if you can rise with me. And the Apostles' Creed is in your bulletin. Let's confess our faith together now. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You all may be seated. In light of Jesus' command, not just to baptize, but also to teach everything he commanded, do you promise to bring Ruby to worship with the gathering of God's people, teach her the commandments and the promises of the gospel, and pray for her spiritual growth? If so, say yes. yes. May God help you to do this important work so that Ruby will be faithfully brought up in the arms of Jesus. Ruby June Rathert, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. May God, who, may, God who, uh, may God help you to do this important work so that Ruby will be faithfully brought up in the arms of Jesus. And may God, who's caused you to be born again of water and of the Spirit and has forgiven all your sins, strengthen you with his grace unto life everlasting. Amen. All right, let's sing uh, Jesus Loves Me. And I'm going to take Ruby and bring her out to you guys.
preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Go in peace. You guys may return to your seats and we will sing the sermon hymn now. Friendly to but what a strange. 
home, but my natural wherein he lay. Here might I stay and sing the story so divine. Never was loved, dear King, never was grieved like look at Romans chapter 8, which is the epistle reading for this morning. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm going to talk about the gospel on Wednesday evening, the story of Lazarus. I'll, I'll talk about that on Wednesday evening. Let's spend just a few minutes on Romans 8. This is an incredibly dense text, these uh, 11 verses. So all we can hope to do in the next few minutes is just a quick flyover. Let me set it up by saying that this comes near the end of a, a, of a longish section where Paul is arguing that there's basically two different ways of being human. There's an in Adam way, he starts in Romans 5, which is, this is the way we were all born. You kind of, you got to justify yourself. You have to make your own way in the world. You have to look out for number one. You have to prove yourself. Um, and then there's the in Christ way, which is completely different. When he gets to Romans 8, he's going to frame those two separate ways in terms of in the flesh and in the spirit. And I don't have time to prove this right now, but Paul does not mean that the body is bad and that inside pure spirit is waiting to be released from the prison of the body. He does not mean that at all. He's actually gonna talk at the end of the text about the body being raised from the dead. What he means is, is that there's, in Adam, there's a human nature way of living, the way everybody is born. That's in the flesh, like normal human life, but then there's, it, there's powered by the Holy Spirit in the Spirit. So what I want to do is I want to focus on just one verse and then real quickly talk about three benefits that we get from what this verse talks about. And the verse is verse 2. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Actually, I want to say it this way if I can. Uh, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And I know that if you're looking at the bulletins or if you have the ESV, and I can't remember what the NIV says. The NIV is the pew Bibles there. That I've reversed a couple of phrases there, and that's because I'm just like following the pattern of uh, the original language. That this, there's, he sets up, there's two ways. There's two laws. There's a law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That frees us from the second law, the law of sin and death. So what is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus? Let's talk about this for just real quickly. First of all, let me just say this. It just means being a Christian. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is that if you know Christ Jesus, you've been set free by this law of God's spirit in your life. The law of God's spirit that produces life. There's gonna be lots of times in the Bible when we talk about the Holy Spirit that we're talking about the experience of the Holy Spirit. Or the, or, or the Holy Spirit guiding and directing us. Or the Holy Spirit gifting us. This morning we're not talking about that. I mean, the Holy Spirit's a very complicated person, so there's lots of different things we talk about. This morning, what I'm talking about is a law. And the law is this. If you believe in Jesus, you have been given the Holy Spirit, which makes you alive. It's a law. What you don't want to do is look at this text and say, well, how do I get the Holy Spirit? 
Paul is saying here, you have the Holy Spirit. If you believe in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, which that lays the foundation for future thoughts and sermons and Bible studies and in your own devotional life about if you have the Holy Spirit, what does that mean about being led by the Holy Spirit, being gifted by the Holy Spirit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, all those things. We'll talk about that later. But right now, it's a law. God has set up a law that if you believe in Jesus, you've been given the Spirit of life. And that law frees you from the law of sin and death. This is a second law, also a law from God. And that law says this. If you're a sinner, which we all are, then you die. If you're a sinner, then you die. And included in that sin is also things that we typically don't think of as sin, but are because they're turned in on ourselves. Different ways that we justify ourselves. I don't mean like just trying to keep the Ten Commandments to justify yourself because you can't do that, right? But also like trying to be a good spouse or a friend or trying to make money or to be a good student or all the different ways that I've talked about before from here. Ways that we try to carve out a place where we can think about ourselves and think, you're good to go. Like you, you, Aaron Miller, you are good at X, Y, and Z, and so you have value and worth. The way on that path leads to death. All the things that I'm good at, which we could list in a matter of seconds here, I could, I could spend my whole life being good at those things that I'm good at, and at the end, it's not gonna be good enough. I can't be a good enough father for my kids to save me by being like, Dad, you are the perfect father. I can't be a good enough friend for my, for my friends to be like, yes, you are the best friend ever. I just can't I, I can't, I can't carry that weight. I can't make enough money to finally be like, okay, I've reached nirvana level, Rich. My business can't be successful enough that I can be like, I've arrived. The way down that, there's a law that the way down that path is the path of death. So these two laws, both come from God. One is the law that says, if you know Jesus, you've been set free by the Holy Spirit for life. The other is the law that if you sin, you will die. Some people don't like that, by the way, too. I, I realize that that's a, a little bit offensive to some of us, that notion of like, if we sin, we get killed. That seems like overkill. I, I, don't, I, I don't know what to do with that except for just to say it's there. It's on the books. Also, scoreboard, it's kind of true, too. It's a, like a 99.9% success rate. We're all sinners, and we're all gonna die. So it's hard to argue with it. But God has this other law that he's gonna use to set us free. So these, these two laws... Both are legit, both come from God, both are true, but one has the power to overcome and trump the other. There, there, there are sometimes when certain laws, which are laws and are good laws, they actually can't accomplish what those laws try to accomplish. And so you need another law to come in. I'll, I'll just give you a couple quick examples. So most, most places have laws about uh, not going into other people's houses without being invited. Like, that's called burglary. You're not allowed to do that. You're walking down the street and you pass by somebody's house. Don't try to break into their house. That's against the law. Why is that a law? Well, it's just good order and it protects life. It protects your life if you're trying to go into somebody's house. It protects their life. It just, it, it, it just that's a good law, right? But there are sometimes, there are some crises in which that law, which tries to establish life and order, actually can't accomplish that. You're walking down the street, different scenario. You're walking down the street and you pass by that same house, which the law, in order to protect life, prohibits you from going into. But this time you see that the house is on fire and you hear screams coming out from inside. If you say, 
I have to obey the law. I'm not allowed to break and enter. You will actually not be serving the purpose of life. There's another higher law which has the ability to trump that, which is save the life. Break the first law and go in and save the life. I'll, I'll, this, I'll give you, this is a better example. And I, has anybody been paying attention? Has anybody seen this? There's this kid in Indiana named Scotty who, um, this has been in the news recently. He ran away from home. He was just found yesterday, actually, safe. But he was gone for uh, maybe three, four, five days. And uh, he ran away from home and everybody was sure he was like in a bad situation. And as it turns out, and you can find these pictures online, I guess he had been being mean to one of his younger siblings. And so his parents made a shirt that says, I don't, I don't know the backstory. The shirt, they wrote on this white t-shirt, I am a liar, I've hurt my younger brother, and made him put this shirt on and took pictures of him wearing this shirt. So that's a bad parenting, right? But anybody who's had kids, knows the impulse behind that. Like you have a sibling who is hurting, sometimes a younger sibling, sometimes an older sibling. They're hurting the sibling and they just won't stop. And you're trying to get them to see you're actually damaging your brother or your sister and they won't get it. And so there's this temptation to like, you always do this, that kind of thing. And what these parents did was they, they, they decided you we're gonna show you what your real identity is. You know who you are, I don't, I don't even know the story, but the backstory. You are a liar, and you're gonna wear this T-shirt that says, I'm a liar. There's laws that say, God's law I mean now, you shouldn't lie, right? And, and what's the purpose of that? The purpose of that is to look like God, to be truthful, um, to, to build faithful relationships, which you can't do if you're lying. Putting a, a t-shirt on a kid that says, I'm a liar, although it reflects that first law, doesn't accomplish it. It doesn't actually turn the kid honest. It just shames him. And it drove him away from home, having to wear this shirt, all right? Now, they found him. So I, I don't, I, again, I'm just making up. What I've told you is kind of like uh, public knowledge. You can find it on, on the news. But I'm imagining that if these parents are just like normal human beings, when they first meet up with this son that they made wear the shirt and who he left home because they had crafted his identity as you are a liar, I imagine that they're not gonna say to him the first thing, see what happens when you're mean to your little brother. I imagine that after five days of calling the cops and going on the news and saying, please, we wanna hear from our son, of knowing the stats that after a couple days, if you haven't heard from them, the odds are significantly high that, that they've been killed. Knowing all those stats and then getting their son back, what's gonna happen is, is that the second law is gonna triumph. The law of life, this new fresh identity that they're gonna hopefully learn to live with in their family, which is, we love you, no questions asked. And hopefully out of that second law triumphing, Scotty is going to learn, I shouldn't lie to my siblings anymore. And the parents are gonna learn, we should no longer force this bad identity on our kid. We should be like, it's us together now. This is what's going on here. The law of the spirit of, the law of God, the, the, the law of God that leads to death, which is you do things your own way, you die. That's a powerful law and it's true. But there's, in, in the words of C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, that there's a deeper magic. There's something back behind that that's even more powerful than that law that can reverse death. And that is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You don't have to craft your identity as 
I'm a truth teller. Because you're not going to be a truth teller. You can try as hard as you want, but you look down at your shirt, it's going to say I'm a liar on there. Thankfully that there's this deeper, deeper law. God has given you Jesus Christ, which means that you are alive and you will be alive for forever. Okay, what's the benefits of that? Three points and then we'll be done here. These will be quick. And again, this is totally just flyover territory with this text. Three benefits of that. One is we please God. Verse four, God does all this in order that, actually, I'm sorry, let me go back and say, I need to say, how does God do this? How does this law work? How does the first law of spirit of life trump and defeat the second law of sin, which leads to death? And the answer for that is verse three. And then we'll get into these next points. I apologize, I skipped over this. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. In other words, there's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is with our weak flesh that couldn't keep it. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Does God condemn his own son? Not necessarily. Does God condemn us? No, I hope not. What God does do is condemn sin. And this creates a scenario where by the law of sin to death, we are guilty. But God, Jesus on the cross has figured out a way to take our sins and separate them from us so that God can condemn the sins on Jesus and leave us alive. He pulls our sins out from us, puts them on Christ, and now when he looks at us, he sees us as perfect and innocent because he's already condemned everything that's condemnation worthy in us. All right, now let's move on to the three points. First of all, we, now we please God. Uh, verse four, following up on verse four there. And God does this in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay, now your first response might be if you're playing along is, okay, so how do I walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh? That's not a bad conversation. We can have that later, but let me just point out that what Paul means here is not, you need to really try hard to walk in the spirit. He's saying, if you know Jesus, you're already walking in the spirit. You are in the spirit. You are in the spirit, and you, this is what he says in verse 9. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now, I know you're like, well, that's not true because I do all kinds of things. Okay, forget about that for a minute. It doesn't matter. Jesus says you are in the spirit. You're in the spirit. And that means that you have fulfilled the requirements of the law. That's what verse 4 says. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And again, a lot of you are being like, I don't feel like that's true. Okay, so forget how you feel. Oh, I don't think that that's true either because I can remember all this junk I've been doing. Okay, for, forget what you think then. And all you need to really know is that Jesus says you have fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law in him. There's a certain sort of, that's ultimate truth. There's a certain sort of Protestant, uh, even like Lutheran, fake humility with like, you know, oh, I don't do any good thing. I'm just a worm. And I know what we're doing. You know, we want to give God the glory and we want to be like, we really can't do anything on our own. But one of those, so a professor at the seminary, Jeff Gibbs, said one time, he said that he was talking to a pastor's meeting and he asked them, he said, how many of you have done any good works this past week? And none of them raised their hands. And he said, guys, that's a big problem. You're paid to be Christians and you're not doing any good works? But he had put them in a corner, you know, because they're like Lutheran pastors, and so they're not allowed to say I've done good works because I've snuck legalism in the back door. And th 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 look, that sort of fake humility has the certain whiff of spirituality about it. Oh, shucks, Jesus is the only one who does good things. But you know what Paul is saying here? That it's actually demeaning to God. 
It's at you. God is doing good things through you guys who know him. Loving your kids, serving your clients and your customers, being faithful in areas where you don't want to be faithful, but you're going to do it because it's the right thing to do. And to, 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 to say about those things, I don't do anything good. It's actually demeaning to God. God is doing good things in you guys. I, I can see it in your lives. Those of you who I know best, I see it most. God is doing all kinds of rich and good things because you have been connected to Jesus and Jesus is at work. And I'm not saying that oh, so now we're all gonna be like, yes, I do all these great things and I'm such a great Christian. What I am saying though is that be grateful for the moments when the Holy Spirit is crafting the image of God in you in Jesus Christ. And be able to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for making me a faithful friend. Thank you, Lord, for making me a hard worker so that my customers get served and that sort of thing. God is pleased with you. That's the main point. God looks at you and what you do, and he likes you. This is not the case if you're in the flesh. Look at verse 9. It says, or verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Implication is that those who are in the spirit do please God. Again, can, can I bash on our, our not bash on, uh, bash on our tendencies sometimes. I'll say that. Some of our tendencies is to be like, okay, salvation is like this legal transaction where, you know, baptism, faith, God's got God's to let me in, you know. How hard is it for you, though? Think about this, your own life. How hard is it for you to realize that God really, really likes you? That God takes deep delight in you? I, I don't just mean like in some sort of abstract sort of way. He watches what you do. He likes the way that you talk. He likes your sense of humor. He likes the, he likes the way that you love your family and your friends. He likes your hobbies. He likes the work that you do at work. God likes you. You please him. You fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. This is not an excuse to just do whatever we want either. That would be the wrong, wrong angle here. But it is an excuse to say this, is that God likes you. He is happy with you. Second thing here. Uh, this feels a little bit disconnected for me, but it's, again, flyover, we're kind of jumping around. We will be raised from the dead someday. Look at verse 10, last two verses of the text. If Christ is in you, for those of you who are Christians, although the body is dead because of sin, your body is going to die. The spirit is life because of righteousness. What does that verse mean? He explains it in verse 11. If the spirit of him, if the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, which if you're a Christian, he does, he who raised, the Holy Spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross, pays for our sins, makes all things. Three days later, he rises from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit is living in you. Now th think about the implications of this. Okay. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, your body will be raised. What does that mean? Holy Spirit is living in those of you who are Christians. You're going to die. And when you die and you're buried or you're cremated, where does the Holy Spirit go? Is he like, whoa, dead body, I'm out of here. No, he, the Holy Spirit still stays with you. The Holy Spirit is still there, waiting for the moment when God gives the signal and Jesus returns. And the Spirit will raise your body up from the dead someday, just like in Ezekiel chapter 37. Bones coming together, cremated ashes be, being rebuilt, and the body being remade. Why? Same thing as Ezekiel 37. By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you, will always live in you, and is gonna raise you from the dead someday. So God likes you. God's gonna raise you from the dead someday. Last thing, this is probably the most obvious, verse one. 
there's no more condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means you're completely innocent. You're completely guiltless. You're completely perfect in God's eyes. There's no more condemnation. The entire world, including yourself, is telling you all the time that you're not good enough. That there's a gazillion things wrong with you. And you're just gonna have to say, Romans 8, 1 is true. There's no condemnation. If Christ Jesus is in me, there is no condemnation. Sometimes others are gonna say to you that you're not good enough. Usually they won't say it out loud. People are too polite for that sort of thing. But you'll, you'll see it in looks. In, uh, uh, you'll, you'll see it in the body language. You'll see it in passive aggressive, or you'll hear it in passive aggressive language. What do you do when outside voices are telling you that you're not good enough? Say, here's what you should do. You should say, you don't even know the half of it, but you don't get to be the final judge. I don't get to be the final judge. Jesus is the final judge, and he says, I'm completely innocent. So what you are saying and what you're tempting me to think is a lie. And I know that on the surface, I am a lousy person, whatever, however you want to say that. But in God's eyes, I am completely perfect. There is no condemnation. What do you do when your own heart condemns you? What do you do when you lay in bed at night and think about how lousy you are and think about all the mistakes you've made? 1 John 3.20 is a good clue here. First John, says, or John says in 1 John 3.20, whenever your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. When your heart tells you you're not good enough, just tell your heart God is greater than you. You're gonna have to tell yourself sometimes, and I do this all the time, I rehash, I relive all the damage I've done to myself and to other people, especially my family, in my mind. And I can hardly, I can hardly stop it. it Happen when my guard is down. Lots of times it'll happen in the middle of the night. And I'll be replaying this, and the enemy will be telling me, look, this happened. It's in the past. You can't do anything. You can't go back and change this. This is who you are. It's what you did. My own heart will be agreeing and saying, that's kind of right. You are kind of a bozo, Aaron. You, you are a damage-making machine. What do I do? I have to say, when my heart condemns me, God is greater than my heart. I have to say, Aaron, who's right? You are God. All the evidence, Aaron, leads you to say that you are guilty and you are worthless, but who's right? Who gets to be right here? Are you smarter than God? Are you stronger than God? Are you more aware of your own sinfulness than God? And the answer is no, I'm not. God knows everything and he's still, God knows sins that I've committed that I'm not even aware of myself. He knows broken areas of my life that I haven't even begun to plumb the depths and he still looks at me and says, you are innocent. There's no condemnation for you. What do you do when Satan condemns you? Well, you say you're a liar. And all your accusations do is to remind me of how much Jesus loves me. Last quote here. Uh, this is from Luther, and then we'll be done. Luther says, when Satan tells me I'm a sinner, he comforts me immeasurably because Christ died for sinners. When Satan tells me I'm a sinner, he comforts me immeasurably because Christ died for sinners. Amen. Let's pray. Father, make this new, fresh, eschatological, new creation reality that we have no condemnation in your son, Jesus Christ, that we have been liberated from the law of sin and death by the law of the spirit of your spirit and life in your son, Jesus. Make that new reality our actual reality. Help us to live in it, feeling and knowing your pleasure in us, feeling and knowing that there is no condemnation of us 
feeling and knowing the promise that you are gonna make all things new, including our bodies someday. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. To see the King of Heaven fall in anguish to his knees, the light and hope of all the world now overwhelmed with grief. What nameless horrors must he? Yet not my will, but yours. Yet not my will, but yours. To know each friend will fall away and heaven's voice be still for hell to vengeful day upon Golgotha's hill. No words describe the Savior's blood to be by God forsaken till wrath and love are satisfied and every sin And every sin is paid. What took him to? wretched place what kept him on this road his love for Adam's cursed race for every broken soul no sin too slight to overlook no crime too great to And yet he drank it all. My Savior drank it all. The Savior drank. Please stand for prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being such a great God and for loving us and for all the ways that you've communicated your love to us. And we pray especially this morning that you would, that you would help us to live in the reality of our forgiven sin. And we, we thank you for 
covering up the guilt of the damage that we've done to ourselves and others with the blood of your son. And Father, we now, I'd like to pray too that you would begin to heal that damage as well, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would do the unthinkable and reverse the harm, not just to cover it up in the sense of um, making it unnoticeable, but Father, just reverse it and create life where there is death and reconciliation where there was brokenness and healing where there was sickness and healthy bodies where there was broken bodies. Father, do this for your own name's sake, but, but do it for our good because we need it so much. Lord, in your mercy. We all thank and praise you for Ruby and for uh, her birth to Joe and Meg and for her being given to us as a sister in Christ. And I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in her heart and that uh, as she grows, that she would uh, come to put words to the faith that you've already given her in your son Jesus and that she would never know a day or a moment where she's not incredibly aware of your love for her and of the sacrifice that you've made to make her your daughter. Be with us too as we minister to her and love her and uh, help us to be a support and encouragement and um, help us to be brothers and sisters to her for the rest of her life. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I thank you for all the ministries that you've called us to and for the ways that we're reaching out into the community now. And I pray that you would continue to bless St. James and that you would give us a heart and passion and love for each other and for Glenn Carbon. And I pray and thank you especially this morning for our community groups and for Shanna who leads those and for the way that many of us um, have come to know you better and to experience you in deeper and more profound intellectual and emotional and um, social ways than we would have otherwise. And just continue to bless us as we live our lives together. We also pray for uh, our missionary uh, this morning, um, uh, Pastor Parviz and Apple of His Eye Ministry, and we pray that you would continue to bless his work, ministering your gospel there in U-City and Dogtown to the Jewish community, and give him uh, strength and boldness, and give him good fruit too, Lord, that would encourage him in that congregation there. Lord, in your mercy. We can only pray these prayers because you are good and you have loved us and you've invited us to become your children and your spirit, Father, the, the same spirit that dwells in your son, Jesus Christ, also dwells in us and binds us to him in such a way that we're now bound to you. And because of that, you look at us as your daughters and sons uh, because we are and so we pray these prayers boldly. We come to you always in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who overcame the assaults of the devil and gave his life as a ransom for many, that with cleansed hearts we might be prepared joyfully to celebrate the Paschal Feast in sincerity and truth. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and singing. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of Sabaoth, adored, heaven and earth with full acclaim, shout the glory of your name. Sing Hosanna in the highest, sing Hosanna 
pray in Jesus' name the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
Wash me and take away 
May strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. If baptism is indeed an incorporation into this new covenant family that Jesus is making, one of the best ways that you can remember your baptism is to do it in community. Whenever you're in the life of a fellow believer, you are living the baptized life. Do a little bit of it now. Go in peace.